Welcome to another episode of SharkBites.net, where we delve into issues of tech leadership in the public sector. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts or simply go to SharkBites.net. Here now is our host, Dr. Alan Shark, Executive Director of the Public Technology Institute, now a division of Fusion Learning Partners. Hi there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of SharkBites.net. As we begin, believe it or not, season four. So happy new year, everyone, for the year 2024. And we're very fortunate today to have Stacy Monsker Young, who is joining us. And you're going to hear a lot about her background and some fantastic stories and things that she has done and continues to do. So welcome, Stacy. Thank you for having me, Alan. So you have been employed by the city of Chicago for some 22 years in the Department of Innovation and Technology as a Deputy Commissioner of Policy, Planning, and Management. Um, I'm going to guess that over the years, <laughs> that name probably has changed quite a bit, um, and you've seen an awful lot. But you were one who oversaw all the information technology strategies, the leadership, organizational change management, planning, governance, portfolio management, the whole, the whole, uh, the whole city. Um, today, you are now working with one of my favorite companies. And I can say that because Plant Moran is a Midwestern consulting group that I've worked with for the last decade. Um, classy organization. In fact, it reminds me that I was uh, on an advisory role to a city and I was asked to help in them in choosing a vendor to do an IT assessment. And when I saw Plant Moran, I said, oh, I need to uh, recuse myself. I know them. They said, no, we know them too. (laughs) And if you can be objective. (laughs) And I said, yep. And guess what? They got the, uh, they got the gig. So you joined Plant Moran in 20. 21, where you uh, continue to advise CIOs on technology strategies, opportunities, planning, executive programs, all different kinds of things to help them improve uh, their IT capability. So you have an amazing background. So I always, always start these conversations is at what point, let's say in your childhood, however you want to dial back, did you become attracted to technology and perhaps more specifically information technology, or is that something that came later on? Actually, it came in high school as it was time to uh, go to college. Um, I I um, I had done some internships um, with IIT um, and Fermilab, and it kind of sparked my interest in technology. And so that drove me to um, my decision to attend the University of Illinois, um, majoring in electrical engineer. However, two weeks into the program, I looked around and I figured out this was not where I wanted to be at that time. I still love technology, but actually coding and um, learning the principles of coding and all those things that come with it, that wasn't my lane. So I moved over to the College of Business. And during that process, the aha moment came in that, you know, I may want to do technology from the business side of it. Um, So continuing taking a few high-level technology classes to prepare me for the conversations um, to understand what technologists were saying kind of led me to my um, 
job outside of college, which was with State Farm, um, where I started off as an adjuster. But like a year or two into it, I transitioned to their uh, automation team. And that really put me in the place of the business side of technology. And from there forward, it's always been technology, technology, technology. Interesting. Um, what attracted you to the public sector in particular? Because now you're in the private sector, you're doing well, you've now felt the strength of your abilities that you are on the planning side, strategic planning side, I should add. Um, what attracted you to the public sector? When I was um, a high school student, as it was time to go to college, I uh, went to college on a general assembly scholarship, which at the time were scholarships given by the Ottoman. And so in turn, I had to volunteer at the Ottoman's office on my breaks. So that was like my first introduction to government. Um, however, when I came out of school, I went into uh, private sector but when the opportunity presented itself for me to work for the city of Chicago, I was really excited because I had kind of been removed from government for a few years. And it brought me right back to a place that felt like home uh, because I was working for a place in which I lived. So I could see the fruits of my labor and the fruits of my friends, you know, to, to help all the constituents. And still to this day, even though I'm in private sector again, I still have a passion for government, which is why my clients are government clients. Absolutely. So you've had quite a ride with the city of Chicago in particular. Um, and one thing that uh, I note that it's always the deputy who is the, uh, I think the one who does most of the work in many cases and uh, is the glue that holds things together. I mean, Chicago over the years has gone through quite a few uh, CIOs and uh, and yet you remain. So tell us about your overall experience. If you can summarize some of the things that you've experienced there. When I walked through the doors of the city, they were um, right on the cusp of coming out of that Y2K chaos mm -hmm. Um, and now, you know, we made it through. So now let's think about what we need to do to modernize our technology. And um, at that point, that's when we started the rat race. And for a good thing, because we were changing everything. And over my 22 years, we've upgraded. Well, we moved to an ERP and upgraded our ERP. We've gotten off the mainframe. Um, we've uh, moved our phone systems to uh, VoIP phone systems. Um, we've uh, developed CRMs, uh, licensing and permitting systems, you name it, we've done it um, in that technology space to kind of modernize our um, infrastructure. We've also began moving to the cloud. Um, and more importantly, IT always has a backseat. And um, towards the end of my tenure at the city, we had a seat at the table um, telling our story um, getting people to understand, writing the rules of the road. Um, so those types of things. And it really um, positioned the IT department um, in a place where they were no longer a backseat driver, um, if you will. So um, did, a, did a whole lot of things with the city. The city has gone through um, a positive transformation in their technology stack. So over the years, how many CIOs have you worked under? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> I would say probably maybe five or six. Yeah. Um, the tenure was usually like two or three years, and then they would change. Um, and then at the point, probably two years prior to COVID, they um, started thinking about getting rid of the CIO role. 
because that's when they started thinking about the uh, merger of this IT department with our fleets and facility department. And um, in 1999, going into the 2020 new year, that occurred. Yeah, there's a lot of controversy over that. Um, a lot of people felt that wasn't quite the right way to go, that the city elected leaders didn't really understand technology. I don't know if things have improved since then. Well, well it's going back. 2020. Yep. This year they, they broke back apart. So it's now a um, a standalone department again. So, you know, I remember a good mentor of mine always said that if you remain a deputy, no matter how good you get jaded to the point where you are so relied upon to be the continuity factor. And I'm assuming that's the case with you, that you see all the skeletons, the good, the bad, everything, that you are the person of record in many ways in terms of what has happened in a very senior position. But what he said really scared me. If you stay too long, it almost poisons you into not wanting to be number one because of all the different challenges that occur, mostly political, uh, other forms of stress, was that something that you uh, were aware of um, or do you feel, you know, I wouldn't mind being the number one? I enjoy because so when the CIO left and the transformation happened, it became a management team. So it was like myself, the CTO, the CSO and the CDO um, and a couple of other People became the management team and we all had our lane, but it felt like, you know, I was in, again, this is nothing negative, but I was the only woman in the group. So it felt like um, the womenly instincts within myself, the organization, the, you know, all those things, when you think about the typical woman stereotypes, um, I took on a lot of different things and as staff were leaving, taking on those roles, granted, some of my peers did the same, but I felt like to your point that you just mentioned, I was carrying a lot of the role. And while I enjoyed what I did, I honestly felt got to a place where I felt like I wasn't being compensated um, for what I was doing because you name it, my hands touched it. And um, it gets to a point where, you know, enough is enough. Even though I enjoyed the role, it was just time for me to figure out what else should I be doing. And during that time, I was speaking in a lot of conferences and I felt like I was monopolizing the conversation both internationally and locally. And um, at that point, I said, you know what? We've done a lot in Chicago. It's time for me to give back to others and take my knowledge and um, just start helping other municipalities to at least get to where Chicago was at that point in time and better. So um, those were things that that took my decision to take on a new role. But I'm not jaded of the old role. I am. Um, I, I just need I, I'm just at the point to do something else. Got it. So you've seen an awful lot. Uh, I have, too, over the years. Um, I am actually my 20th year here at PTI, uh, which is unusual these days. What, how do you see the role of the CIO? evolving or changing and certainly it has from you know the head of it to a, a much and, and you alluded to that you know sitting at the uh, strategic table uh with the uh the highest level decision makers how has that journey been as you see it and and how does that evolving from what you see i think the cio the cio role now the uh going forward definitely have to have a seat at the table because so much goes on that um 
everybody is relying upon technology, not really understanding that the, the magnitude and the cost of having all the technology um, at your place? You know, do you have the right insurance? Just do you have the right policies? And I think the CIO really, really needs to take a seat at the table by telling their story. They, we, We've got to, you know, do better at telling a story. I went to a workshop before and, and this woman, she talked about how to get to the table. And really she said, it's all about the storytelling, your business case. So really putting together your business case and kind of marketing your department, marketing what you do, um, and providing those those um, rules of the road, the governance, the policies and procedures. Um, I think that the CIO is really going to have to do that because innovation is rapidly happening and um, everybody wants everything. But again, in municipalities in particular, you have to really be careful of how you step into different types of technology. Um, I think innovation labs um could be a big thing um right before covid i was in the process of designing an innovation lab with some of my coworkers and actually during covid the furniture was actually delivered and unfortunately we weren't able to use all this mm. furniture that we designed it took 6 months to create and you know curate um but i think having those uh those strategists in a room to just come up with different different um ways to innovate um to keep up with the changing times um, I think as CIOs and as IT departments become more centralized, the CIO is going to have to start thinking about how do I sell my services? Is it a monetary sell or is it um, a give-get sell? But to keep up with the, the cost of technology and to keep up with um, staff, you're going to have to figure out how to how to change the way that you currently do business. Um when it comes to services. So those are a few things that I think um, the CIO CIO role will be evolving into in the future. There was a recurring theme in what you just said, and that is, you know, the ability to sell oneself, uh, to be able to really promote what it is they do. And we have found year over year, that's the one deficiency that people owe up to. They feel almost embarrassed or they feel that's not in their wheelhouse or they feel they don't have the right skills to do it. And yet that is to me so essential. And I, you may have seen, I, I just wrote an article on um, you know, battling for the relevancy of the CIO, which just by its title suggests that there are many people that are questioning you know, the very role, especially since we now have a new influx of chiefs. Mm -hmm. You know, now we have the chief data officer, mm -hmm. the chief privacy officer, um, the chief security information officer. Mm -hmm. And very often these people. So just at the time when some CIOs are successfully getting to, quote unquote, the table. Now there are other chiefs out there um, that are competing for that same um, spot at the table. And some of these people don't even report to the CIO. Thoughts on that? All these chiefs. <laughs> yes. You know, we had a lot of chiefs in Chicago. We had the chief data officer, the chief security officer, the CIO, the chief technology officer. Um, but what we did was um, we had them all working together. Right. And so it becomes let's break down the silos and let's go straight across. Let's work together. Let's be collaborative. So, you know, the CIO drove the, the technology portfolio. Um, the CSO made the CSO made sure security office made sure that we were in compliance in terms of our insurance and so forth. Especially as we started exposing more of our data out into the world, 
um, and our, which our chief data officer managed. And um, so that's how we can, and our CTO worked with the CIO to drive that innovation. So as we started collaborating and breaking down the silos, it made it a more um, meaningful and cohesive team. So now as we're coming to the table, we're coming to the table with a full package and that brought in that more that comfort level that IT really does know what they're doing. They have all the components in place. We need to stop and listen to them because they're covering everything that we're asking. So when I take a look at the country as a whole and I look at local government, I would say that 70% of local governments have less than five staff that run their IT. And your experience primarily has been with a large, a very large municipality, uh, a flagship city for that matter. Um, what do you think the future holds for local governments generally? Can they keep up with that? Or do you think that they're going to have to, and this is something I've said uh, often, that they're going to have to rethink their roles and perhaps start to outsource uh, more of their technology, possibly to another local government of a larger size or to the private sector? I just wonder aloud, and I put it in writing, I've spoken about it, how can they possibly keep up when they're not getting the funds for training, bringing in new staff, and things are getting far more complex. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, you know, we did have, um, we had a large staff. Um, at our highest, we had probably 120, 140 people. But at our lowest, we had maybe 70. Mm -hmm. But we also had um, a lot of vendor partners, to your point that we outsourced because we could not keep up with the actual technology skill set of all the evolving um, technology platforms. Um, and we couldn't keep up with it because number one, we like you said, we didn't have the, the training dollars to continue to uh, train our staff on every new thing that's coming out. Um, then too, we had to think, we had to deal with the mindset because not a lot of the staff uh, were willing to upskill. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, when you're dealing with um, staff that have been doing this one thing for 20 years and they're getting close to retirement, they may not necessarily want to learn something new. So to your point, um, it, it is it is going to be challenging to keep up with technology because it is evolving faster than ever. And um, you, you just don't have the staff to do it. So we, we, we did rely heavily on our uh, vendor partners. So that's a great uh, lesson for all that if a large city such as Chicago needed to do that, you know, the writing's on the wall for some of these smaller governments that continue to try and do things. And uh, I think they're going to have to really rethink what they do. So now that you're in the private sector, work for Plant Moran, what is it like? Is it comfortable? Because you're dealing with other people's mess and you can walk away. I mean, you could possibly get emotionally sucked in here and there. But what's it like? primarily being on the other side? Do you find comfort in that? Or do you find, boy, I wish I was back in the trenches? You know, um, most for the most part, I, I love being on the other side because I, I feel like I'm bringing my knowledge to assist other people because that's, that's part of just my DNA makeup is I love helping. Um, so I, I love that I can do that. Um, every now and again, I feel like I just need to come on come over there and just help you just just really get in the trenches and do it for you. You know what I mean? And get myself head, you know, heads down in the trenches. Um, but that may be 10% of the time. The other 90% of the time, I love uh, consulting and um, 
helping others and I can help others all over the place. Yeah. And, and I, I could just see the fruits of my labor. So with all your experience, I was surprised and heartened in a very positive way when I saw that you applied for our certified government CIO program. And I, I'm just curious, you're currently in the program. Um, thoughts about what led you to take the program and what are you getting out of it thus far? It's it's still, you know, maybe three quarters of the way through. I'm just curious with some of your experience, and it's not unusual, we've had that before. Um, that's a compliment, I think, to the program. But what was the motivation and are you finding what you uh, thought you were going to find? Yes, that that's a really good question. I, uh, as I'm thinking about that, um, I didn't know a lot about the program, to be honest. Um, you know, in, in, the, in my world, you know, the PM the PMI certification was what you needed. Um, but when I joined plant, my partner, Mike Riffo, and then I have a team member, Lori Blackman, they both have the, the designation. And so I started inquiring. I'm like, well, what does this mean? What did you go through? Tell me about it. And the more they were giving me the information about the program, the more I, you know, my, my spidey senses were up and I'm like, Hey Mike, I want to do this program because I think that, um, my experience, um, would help me get through the program. And at the same time, some of the things that um, I could have fine-tuned, this program would help me with that. And it will make me a even uh, better consultant um, in working with our clients because not only am I bringing my experience, but I'm also hearing from others and um, learning from our scholars. And it will give me a, a, a better foundation as well as additional credibility. So um, he's like, no problem. I think that's a good idea. And um, just going through the paperwork to get going. So here you are. Mm -hmm. So, and we're glad you're in the in the program. So where do you see yourself in 10 years? I mean, you you have a lot of ambitions. You're doing a lot of good in the public sector for government. Obviously, you have other interests as well. If one was to look ahead, what would the future look like, say, in 10 years from now for you? That's an interesting question. Um, so my daughter is getting ready to go to college. She's a junior. So I've been thinking about that a lot lately, not only from 10 years from now, but what am I going to do when I become an empty nester? And um, from the Plant Moran, Plant Moran side, um, there is a trajectory that I'm striving for. So working, um, working through that trajectory, and Mike is really assisting me with that process among other partners. Um, and then from a personal side, um, I do a lot with health and, and wellness. Um, and I also have, uh, I had an ambition to be a, um, uh, sports and entertainment lawyer. And I started the process and then I stopped, but it's still gnawing at me, but I don't think I want to become a lawyer anymore. I think more from an agent side. And I'm saying that to say uh, my daughter wants to get into the space of um, entertainment. Um, and so I said, hey, maybe I'll take some classes about agency and become a momager, so to speak. Um, so that's something that I'm thinking about as I'm thinking about my trajectory with plants. So those are a couple of things that I see myself doing in the next 10 years. 
Fascinating. You know, in, in the course, we've asked people, you know, what is it that you do for fun? And last year's class, I, I would say almost everyone said, I love work. And I'm thinking, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> I mean, we have to love our work, yes, but we have to have other passions. We have to have other uh, interests. And uh, you've shared that with us. Well, we're about out of time. Stacy. thank you so much for joining us today and starting off the new year with uh, season four. Um, we wish you nothing but success in everything that you do. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me, Alan. So until next time, as I always say, please be safe digitally and personally. You've been listening to another episode of SharkBites.net. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts or simply go to SharkBites.net. And if you or someone you know has a story to tell, please let us know.